Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Matthew Perez. If you and I don't know one another, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, which means I'm also one of the elders here at Life Church. And I am glad that you're here this morning. It's my privilege to be able to bring the Word of God this morning. We're going to be in Joshua, looking at chapters 3 and 4 this morning. I'm in the ESV. Whether you have a Bible or a handheld device, we want to encourage you to follow along. We want to say good morning to our young ones who are in the room. If you are normally in life, kids, we're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor and wondering why we have all these kids in the room, a couple times a year we have what's known as Family Worship Weekend, where we take our uh, younger kids and bring them over here so they can worship together in song and in the Word. We think it's important for our families to worship together and for our kids to see parents and grandparents worshiping together. So young ones in the room, if you're normally in life, kids, I want you to look at me just for a second. Number one, I'm glad that you're here. And number two, there's two things I want you to think about today. I want you to see. There's going to be a time in the service where I'm going to ask a question that you maybe have wondered, and that's this question. I'm going to ask, why do we go to church? Maybe you've wondered that. Maybe you've asked mom and dad that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. I hope that you're able to stay with me and hear that. The other thing is this, because, you know, we like free stuff, right? If you're in the room today and you're normally life kids, at the end of the service, I have a gift for one of you who's going to win something. And um, so you kind of stay with me. Yeah, free stuff. I'm kind of curious now, right? Because I'm under fifth grade. If you're over fifth grade, sorry, no free stuff for you. But mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, you might enjoy the free stuff we give your kids. I promise you it's not gum, candy, silly putty, plate, or anything that would be annoying. I'm going toward grandparent mode, but not quite there yet. Uh, if you're a visitor in the room, we're glad that you're here. Uh, If you're a guest in the room, we're glad that you're here. And um, we want to encourage you to, if you haven't already done so, stop by our Connect table. We have a gift for you. We're glad that you're here. There's a couple of ways you can connect with us. You can go to lifechurchnc.com slash live. You can take one of the pieces of paper in the chair in front of you and fill that out. You can uh, hit the QR code or stop at the Connect table. We would love to know that you're here. Whether you're a first-time guest or a long-time attender, somewhere in between, if there's ways we'll be praying for you, you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, baptism, life groups, serving, connect with us in those same ways. We'd love to talk to you. If you're able to give and willing, we want to say thank you. There's three ways to give. You can go online, you can text to give, or there's an offering box in the back. We want to say thank you. This morning, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, as I said, and so I'm excited to dive into the Word together. A couple of days ago, my youngest daughter... Uh, my youngest daughter is going to be 17 in a few weeks. Um, she did uh, one of those things that all of my kids have done. She grabbed the photo albums. Maybe you have those still in the house. We do. And she grabbed the photo albums after dinner and opened them up on the dinner table and sat down with my wife and I and enjoyed looking at the photo albums. Now, my wife and I actually met in high school about 30 years ago, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And so she enjoyed seeing pictures of us in high school when I was several pounds lighter um, I still had the same facial hair. Um, she enjoyed seeing pictures of uh, the bridal shower that my wife had, seeing pictures of our wedding, pictures of when we were younger, pictures when they were younger, and we enjoyed walking through with them. Uh, because we would look at those pictures and my daughter would say, okay, now who's that? And some of those pictures are people who have long passed away. 
great-grandparents or uncles and aunts that we want them to know about. And so we would share stories and talk to them about who those people were. We would stop at a picture and we would laugh and tell a story that was behind the picture. And my daughter would, would, would laugh, getting to know a little bit more about us and understanding who we were and who we are and how we become who we are. It was just a wonderful evening of us just kind of reminiscing. We, we very much desire for our kids to know about their, their heritage and the legacy of their family members and where they've come from and who uh, is a part of our upbringing as well as theirs. So it was just a wonderful evening. We actually had an evening similar to that. We have it actually every Christmas. Every year at Christmas, we put our tree up and we get out the ornament box. I don't know, maybe kids, your mom or dad have an ornament box. We have one. Every single ornament that goes on our tree there's a story behind. Either it's from like my kids' great-grandparents or their grandparents or something my grandma gave to me when I was little or my kids made for us or I made for my kids. Just different gifts that they always had meanings. Maybe they're from a former youth kid or a former ministry partner that we worked with. And every single ornament that goes on the tree, there's a story. And we want our kids to know those stories. We want them to know the legacy again of who they are and where they've come from and what's shaped us. Now, here's the thing. We not only want our kids to know that about their family, we want them to know about the legacy of their church family as well, right? We want them to know about their spiritual family. We want them to know who they are and who came before them and how we are shaped and formed as a church. Like, I want them to see pictures and know about their father, more importantly, I want to be open up the scriptures so they know about their heavenly father, their perfect father that we just sang about. It's a desire I have as a father that they know why church is important and why it matters. It's a desire I have as a pastor for us to understand why church matters and why it's important. In fact, it's one of the values at Life Church. It's going to be on the screen right behind me. We talked about the values a couple of months ago. Value number six, we desire to leave a gospel legacy. Right? Like when I pull out the picture album with my kids, I want to leave a legacy for my kids. I want them to know about the family members who have helped shape who they've become. Right? But as a church, I want us to think about what shapes us so that we can pass on the gospel not only to our children but to future generations as well. We want those as a church who come after us to know the truths about their spiritual family, about the Father, God in heaven, and the saving works of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, if this is a value of us as a church, if this is an aim, a target that we're, we're trying to strive toward as a church to leave a gospel legacy so that people understand God's word well after we're gone and no longer in these seats, because the day will come when that happens, then we have to ask, how do we pass on the gospel? How do we leave this gospel legacy? Here is the big question I want us to think about this morning. This is going to shape our time together. How do I pass on the truths? of God to those who come after me so they, they can rest in God's covenant promises. Now, this, this applies to us as parents, as grandparents, as spiritual parents. We want to think about how we leave a gospel legacy not only to our young ones, but our neighbors and our communities. And so if that's a desire for us as a church here in Salisbury, we need to think about what we need to be doing so that we can be faithful to this aim that we have that is very much biblical. Okay, so we're in Joshua 3 and 4. Let's set the scene so we know why we're here and what's going on. God has people that he loves, his people, called Israel. And if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, you don't have to go there. Those people were slaves in Egypt. 
when the book of Exodus opens. The book of Exodus talks about how God uses Moses and miracles and signs and wonders to lead his people out of Egypt because he wants to send them to a land that we call the promised land uh, that he had promised to Abraham and his descendants hundreds of years earlier, right? And so when the book of Exodus ends, God's people are heading out of Egypt and towards the promised land so that God will fulfill the promises he made to Abraham and Israel's Abraham's offspring hundreds of years earlier. But there's a problem. When they're out in the wilderness, they don't always obey God. God's people, Israel, when they're out in the wilderness, they're disobedient. They continually do not trust God. And as a result, they're punished. And they have to stay in that wilderness for 40 years. When we get to the book of Joshua, those 40 years have ended. And now God's people are getting ready to go into that land that was promised about 500 years earlier. And so when the book of Joshua opens, all of God's people are going to be in this town called Shittim, getting ready to cross over the Jordan River because it stands between them and the land that God had promised. This morning what we're going to see is this. God's going to move his people from Shittim across the Jordan River into the promised land And after they do so, he's going to call God's people to gather stones, memorial stones, to set up a memorial so that future generations will know what God did. So this morning, we're going to look at some of the verses in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. Now, normally, if you're here, we walk through verse by verse and let Scripture speak. And we're going to let Scripture speak this morning, but because we're hitting big chunks in Joshua, we're not going to hit all of the verses. So... We're going to hit most of chapter 4, some of chapter 3. We'll set up kind of in between. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been in Joshua in a while, read chapters 3 and 4 later on this afternoon. But I'm going to start by looking at Joshua chapter 4, and this is going to be after they cross the Jordan River. They've been told to gather these stones. Let's take a look at what God says in his word. Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 8 and then pick it up in verse 19. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Let's skip ahead to verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? 
Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. A reading from the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we spend time together. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we spend time in your word, whether we are young or young at heart in this room, that we would come under your word and let it shape us for your glory. Lord, we pray that you will allow me to use the words that you have given me to speak, not my worldly philosophies or thoughts, but your words. Uh, and we take time to unpack and understand your words. May your word shape not only us, but the other churches that gather this morning here in Rowan County. May your word work powerfully in those who gather under it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we want to leave a gospel legacy. We want people in these seats after we're long gone, hearing the word of God and being shaped by the word of God, bringing glory to God and his kingdom, right? How do we do this? Here's three things. This is going to be our roadmap today. In order for us to do this, we need to hear God's word. We need to obey God's word. And we need to remember God's word. Those are the three things we're going to look at today. It's going to be real simple. We need to hear God's word, obey God's word, and remember God's word. Let's start with this. What does it mean to hear God's word? Remember, Israel is in Shittim, and they're getting ready in Joshua 3 to enter Jericho in the promised land. And God, in the beginning of Joshua chapter 3, will tell them to get up and head toward the banks of the Jordan. So they're on now the banks of the Jordan River, looking at the Jordan River, and on the other side of the Jordan River is the land that God had promised them and their ancestors about 500 years earlier. And we're told in Scripture in chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua that the banks of the River Jordan right now, because of the time of year that it is, is very high. It's not like we're just going to kind of waddle across in some ankle-deep water. This is going to be some heavy water, some rushing water that they're going to need to cross. And God's going to tell his people that you're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan, and when the priests carrying it step into the Jordan, the Jordan River will stop up, it'll dry up, and it'll stay dried up until all of you, all as we saw last week, all 600,000 of you cross the Jordan River safely, then the priests will bring the ark up out of the Jordan and the waters will proceed. And when you come out, you're going to set up these stones in memorial so people when the, in days come later will know this is what God did and God will tell us in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, I'm going to do this for a couple of reasons, right? If, if you've studied your Bible, this sounds a lot like when Moses leads Israel out of Egypt in the Red Sea. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 7, God says, Joshua, I'm going to do this so people know that I'm with you, just like I was with Moses. He'll say also in Joshua chapter 3, I'm going to do this so the people on the other side of the Jordan know where I'm for real. And we're taking this land. And I'm going to do this, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, to strike fear in the hearts on the side of Jordan because they need to know that I am God and this is our land. So that's why I'm going to do this, God says. Before any of this takes place, look at what God does in Joshua chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Actually, verses 9 and 10. Joshua chapter 3, verse 9. They haven't crossed yet. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. 
And Joshua said, here's how you should know the living God is among you, and that he will be without fail, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Before God does any of this remarkable things with the Jordan River, he says to Joshua, gather the people. And Joshua says, everybody, God's people, come here and hear what God has to say. Listen to the word of the Lord your God, come together, and come under it, and hear it. When I was little, I used to attend church every week with my three brothers, my mom and dad, my mom's parents, my maternal grandparents were in our church, so I got to see them every Sunday. Uh, There were some Sundays I went with my paternal grandparents and we would walk to the Spanish-speaking church they, spoke, they, they went to on the corner. And so I spent time with my parents and my grandparents in both English churches and Spanish-speaking churches going on a regular basis to go to church. Now, there were times when I was little that I didn't understand why we were going to church. I had friends, some of them. I would go to school on Monday, and I'd hear they went to church on Sunday. But I had some friends who didn't go to church on Sunday. So I wasn't quite sure why we always went to church. There were some Sundays I wondered, why are we going to church? If you're a young one in this room, you've maybe wondered that. Like, why are mom and dad making me go to church? If you're a teenager in this room, you might be thinking, why are mom and dad making me go to church? You might be excited, but some of you may not be excited. You might be a spouse wondering, why is my spouse dragging me to church, right? Why do we gather? There's a hundred other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning. Why is this important? So as a young child, I, I, I wondered this. If you think like that's odd for a young child, I, there were odder questions I asked my parents. Like, where did God come from when I was like six or seven? That, that was, didn't sit well with mom and dad. Like, go back to bed. He came from, from him. Go. Like, okay, I'll ask my brothers in their 10-year-old world of wisdom, right? So, but I, I would wonder, like, why, why do we go? Here's why we go. We gather together to hear the words of God. Look at what Joshua does. Everybody get together. Let's hear what God has to say. Why do we get together at church? To hear the words of the Lord. God has spoken, and young ones as well as old ones, men have wrote it down and kept it for generations. They've translated it into all kinds of of languages. Like I said as a kid, I got to go to both English and Spanish-speaking churches to hear the word of the Lord. It's been preserved so we can understand who God is because it's here that he's revealed who he is. It's here that he's revealed that he's the God that has loved us so much that when we've rebelled, when we have violated God's standards that he sets forth here, he loved us so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to live a life of perfect obedience to the, to, uh, to the Father and to die on the cross for our sins. He loved us so much that he provides a way through Jesus Christ to bring us back into his family, not just our own family, but his family. Now, here's the thing. If that's true, that puts a heavy burden on your elders who stand in this pulpit. That puts a heavy burden on your teachers, myself, Pastor James, our life group leaders, puts a heavy burden on our disciple makers, right? Because what we're saying is when we come together, what we're hearing are the words of God. 
And we want to make sure what we're teaching are the words of God. Now, let me just be really blunt and honest. You really don't want to come here and hear my philosophies on life. You, you, you really don't. Because I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about like, why you shouldn't go to Taco Bell, why you shouldn't root for Duke, why you shouldn't own cats. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about stuff like, yeah, I don't know, you're already like, yeah, I, I disagree with you. If you're coming here to hear my philosophies on life, like you've come to the wrong source. Right? And I, I'm not really someone you want to hear on my philosophy in life. You can talk to my children afterwards. I'll tell you, I like, guess yeah, sometimes my dad's not real bright. Right? You, you don't come here to hear Pastor James be funny because the reality is he's not, right? He's, he's, just, he's just not, you know? He'll be in the room in the second service. I'll tell the same joke. Don't worry. We tease each other all the time. All right? You, you, you don't come to hear silly stories or cool stories, right? Sometimes what you hear from here is confusing. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's like, wait, what? But what we want to do is faithfully open the Bible and teach verse by verse so that you don't know what Matt thinks. We don't want you to know what James thinks or whoever fills this spot after he and I. We want to know what God says. We gather together to hear what God says. Years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy to tell him about why teaching and learning from God's word is so important. It's going to be on the screen right behind you. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It's a verse many of you may be familiar with. Listen to what Paul says when he writes to this young pastor. He says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen to what Paul says. He says the Bible is breathed out by God, that it's not man's opinions on life, it's from God. And he says that all of Scripture is from God and useful. That means both the New Testament, which shows us who Jesus Christ is, as well as the Old Testament, which tells us of Jesus Christ who is coming. It says here that Scripture helps us, that it's good for teaching so we can learn. For reproof, that means we can learn things we didn't know before. For correction, that means it can help us learn things that we're getting wrong. For training, it shapes us for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we can do the work that God has called us, each one of us, to do in our churches, in our homes, and in our communities. How do I pass on the truth of God to those who are going to come after me so that they can rest in God's covenant promises. It starts by hearing God's word. We open his word, we come under his word, and we learn from his word. But there's a second part to this, right? Because, again, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was a teenager. I heard my parents confess, I didn't always obey my parents. There's a difference between hearing and obeying, right? I can hear my dad say, be home at 10 o'clock. I can roll in at 10.30. I clearly heard him. I clearly didn't care. And he clearly punished me. Right? We need to hear God's word. We need to obey God's word. In Joshua chapter 3, the people are told to follow the ark the ark was 
It carried inside it the Ten Commandments, Aaron the priest's staff. It carried manna, which they ate while they were in the wilderness. It was a symbol to Israel of God's presence, that he was in their midst. And he says, you're going to know that I'm with you because the ark is going to go first. It's going to go into the water. And you're going to follow it. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So they said, follow the Ark into the water, and they obeyed. In Joshua chapter 4, he says, when you're in the water, gather up some stones so we can make a memorial when you come out of it. Look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 8. The people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, which is he words from God, and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. So God tells them what to do, and they obey. Joshua chapter 4, verse 12, we don't have to look at that. Way back when, two and a half of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, looked at Moses and said, we want to settle on this side of the Jordan. We don't want to cross it with the rest of you. And Moses said, that's fine, you can. But when it's time, you guys need to promise that you're going to cross the Jordan with us and go into battle with us to take the land, then you can go home. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 12, he talks about the two and a half tribes going through the Jordan. They are obeying. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 16, there's commands that are given to the priest. And guess what? They obey. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 18, there's commands again given to the people. And guess what they do again? It's pretty simple. They, whoever said that, like, you're awesome. And um, I'll shut up now because the sermon's over, right? He, good, yes. They obey. It's not complicated. Let's not overcomplicate this. How do I pass on the gospel to the next generation? How do I leave a gospel legacy? I come under scripture... And I let it shape me, and I obey it. A couple hundred years later, in the book of 1 Samuel, these same people, God's people, their, their ancestors, are now getting a king. His name is Saul. And Saul is the king of Israel. And Saul is told by Samuel that God said, I want you to go take this town and destroy the town and destroy all the animals. Saul says, okay, I will, I will obey. Saul goes into town and, and destroys everything with his army and keeps the animals. And Samuel shows up and says, hey, um, you were supposed to destroy all the animals. And Saul says, isn't it wonderful how I obeyed the Lord? He says, if you obeyed the Lord, why, why do we have animals? 1 Samuel 15, 22, it's on the screen behind me. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Saul said, listen, I, I kept the animals, is what he said earlier, so I could sacrifice them to God for worship. Samuel says, listen, do you know what God wants more than your worship? More than your songs, more than your money, more than your time. He wants your obedience. Worship starts there. Your obedience to his words. 
How do I pass on the truths of God to those who come after me so they can rest in God's covenant promises? It starts by hearing God's word. We open God's word. We come under the authority of it. But when I hear it, I obey it. I'm um, 46. Started ministry when I was 22. My first 13 years I was in youth ministry. Loved it. I figured it was time to get out when kids were like, yeah, I was born in this year and that was after I started youth ministry. I was like, all right, I'm kind of getting kind of old for youth ministry. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Loved seeing how young hearts and minds were shaped by God's word. Take a moment to think for a second about what you think is the biggest struggle that teenagers face when it comes to living out God's word. Just think for a moment of what you think it is. My guess is, some of you might be thinking, man, it's like, it's like the schools. Schools are the problem, right? And kids just struggle with, with, with schools and the secular pressures there. Some of you might think the biggest problem that teenagers face is, you know, oh, man, we, we raise them in the church, but those, those darn secular professors get a hold of them and they just ruin them, and it's their fault, some of you might be thinking, you know, it's the, the, the teen peer pressure that comes with trying to live with this social media age. And, and those things are they're pressures. 13 years of youth ministry. I spent a lot of time working with kids. The biggest struggle they faced in how to live out their faith that I heard continuously from teens was this. We go to church on Sunday we watch our parents continually throughout the week disobey God's word. It doesn't match up. We would talk to kids with tears in their eyes. We would talk to kids with anger and frustration. They say, my parents will show up to church. Man, they talk about loving God. They sing well. They may even pray in front of the church. We go home, and it's just a different story. And they just engage in persistent sin the rest of the week. And now I'm not, I'm not talking about perfection. None of us are, right? We're all sinners, which means we need to show our kids when we sin, even our need for the cross, our need for reconciliation, our need for repentance. But when this is ignored, when there is just persistent walking in ways contrary to God's word, it should not be a mystery 5, 10, 15 years down the road when your kids are just checked out from church. And you'll think, man, it was those darn schools. It was that secular professor. It was that peer pressure. And I would say, brothers and sisters, humbly, like, you need to look in the mirror. It might have been you. Now, we still have time on this earth to redeem. So if it is you right now, repent. And it's time to start walking away in obedience to God's word to model that for your kids or your grandkids or your neighbors, or your co-workers. We need to hear God's word, come under and obey God's word, and then we need to look, here's the last one, for opportunities to remember God's word. Look at Joshua 4, 21 and 24 again. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Remember, they went through the Jordan, they picked up stones, they've now made this stone monument. What do these mean? When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? You shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. 
so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why do we gather these stones? So we can point to them and remember who God is and that he's a keeper of his promises. We, we want to set these stones up, he says, so that future generations can see them and remember, and we can point to it and talk about the faithfulness of God, this God that loves us and keeps his word. The question we have to think through is how are we placing God's truths in front of ourselves, in front of our kids, in front of our grandkids, in front of our neighbors, so that we can remember and point to on a regular basis why he matters, why these truths matter. What what do you do to keep in front of you so that God's word can shape you, that you can point to and say, "This this is why God matters. This is why he shapes my soul as imperfect as it is. This is why he should be shaping your soul as imperfect as it is. My kids, we're we're, we're getting ready to empty nest, we hope. All right? My oldest daughter's here who is living in an apartment, not in our house. We love her the most right now. (laughs) Say that jokingly. My other two will be in the second service and I'll tease them as well. We we love them dearly. We, We really do. Um, but we also know we're called to launch them. So we're moving toward empty nesting. Um, we're, we're not crying about it. We're embracing the next stage of life. And, you know, um, sorry, Kayla, we're already looking at tickets for two to someplace you're not going, or your brother and sister. We're going to celebrate the snot out of, like, we made it. <laughs> we're celebrating survival, right? But there were things that we did when they were younger where we tried to keep the word of God in front of them. We weren't perfect. I will tell you, not in my notes, the hardest thing I did, and I was challenged by brother and Lord, was to confess sin in front of my kids. That was hard. Harder than any sermon I've ever had to give, but rewarding. Do it. But there were some things that we did. Uh, I pulled this out. This is not mine. My youngest said, hey, that looks like ours, but it's not beat up. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. We give them away at at, at child dedications, which are now going to be called parent dedications. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, this resource is probably one of the best kids' resources I've ever had. In fact, I talked to other staff members and elders this week, and several of us have this or had this on our kitchen table. The reason this is so good is it doesn't act like the stories from God's Word are just these stories. It talks about the one grand story of Jesus Christ and His love for us. And every scripture that it points to, it points to the coming reality of this is a story about Jesus Christ. If you don't have this one, Man, we, we, we have it in the, the resource wall on the Life Kids side. This thing is invaluable. Um, it has been soul-shaping for my kids and for my wife and I. And I actually was talking to one of the staff members. said it's been soul-shaping for him as well and how he thinks about his ministry. Um, and for me as well. Great resource. When my kids were younger, um, as hokey as this sounds, we had a nativity set out all the time at Christmas time. We made sure it was right by the tree. And we actually let our kids play with it. Like, right? I mean, our kids play with Star Wars toys and Care Bears. We also like play with the nativity, man. Handle it. Touch it. They're real people. Our, our nativity set was so chipped up and busted. We went through a couple of them. We didn't care. We wanted to see these were real people. We'd talk about who they were, right? We would talk about why they mattered. On Christmas morning, before we opened presents, we would actually take all the pieces out and we would read the story of Jesus' birth and the kids would take turns putting different pieces in. We wanted to understand the real tangible reason why we were celebrating Christmas. Again, just small reminders. I actually spent some time asking some staff members, like, what have you done 
to try to keep God's word in front of your kids, right? And, and again, none of us are perfect, but, but here were some things that kind of popped up, right? Uh, one said, hey, man, we, we actually, we, we remind them that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his works when we see these beautiful sunsets or sunrises or rainbow. Oh, you're up for a sunrise with your kids, that's sad. Um, yeah, go mom. I think a mom put that in. Or rainbows. Like they, 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 when they see those things, they, they, they want to point to this is God's beauty and his handiwork. Um, what, they talked about um, when we pray, we don't want to just pray for stuff. We ask them each day, what are some things that we can praise God for today? Another staff member said, when I talk to my kids, I always tell them, hey, this is what God says in the Bible. I want them to know this isn't my philosophy or my wisdom, but this is what God says. I want to point them to something higher. Another staff member said, um, I, I want my kids to see me reading the Bible, not because I want to show off, but because I want them to see it's important for even dad to be in the Bible. So that staff member does their devotions very intentionally in front of the kids. Just small things as parents are trying to do to think about, how do I keep the word of God in front of you? You might have some traditions in your family that are awesome as well. Look for ways to do it. We not only try to do that as a church or as, as a family members, but as a church as well. So why we celebrate baptism, a visual representation of the truths of God being played out in front of our congregation, the visible truths of God being played out in front of brothers and sisters in Christ and people who may wonder, why do we do what we do? That's why we celebrate communion every month, visible representations of a body broken and blood shed. We want our people to know and remember and see the truths of why we gather in a few weeks, we're going to start a, a parent commissioning class. We used to do baby dedications here. We're changing the name. Um, we're calling it parent commissioning because really what this is about, it's not about your child. It's about you. We're going to spend some time just talking about the reality of how your role in shaping your child's soul and the role of the church in shaping your child's soul and how we're called to partner together in that regard. And so parents, if you've got little ones, um, this may have popped up in your email this week. If it hasn't, you have questions, stop by the Connect Center. Um, someone will be there to help you. And if they're not, they will be at the end of the service. I just put them on the, I, I get to be James today. Someone will be there. And, um, you know, I'm just going to pretend that someone will be there. Britt will take care of it because she, she's awesome on that stuff, right? Um, that's why we do these things. We want to pass on the gospel to future generations. That's why we've partnered with the Pillar Network, right? Because we understand, like, look, we don't have a monopoly on the truth. We're going to screw things up and learn and grow. We want to see healthy church not only here in Salisbury. We want to see healthy churches around North Carolina and around the world. In a few moments, Pastor James is going to come up. And we're going to celebrate a, a pastoral resident that, that we are working with as he looks to plant a church down in Statesville so that the gospel can be spread not only here and in our community and to generations to come, but down the road as well and around the world. It's why in a few minutes we're going to do something where uh, a physical representation where we commission our new elder, Caleb Eford. We're going to spend time praying for him because we want you guys to see, like, Caleb's coming on our team as part of the leadership, and, and we don't want Caleb for Caleb's wisdom. Caleb's a sharp guy. We want Caleb because we want Caleb being under God's wisdom along with each other elder. So we're going to take time to pray for him so that we can be reminded that leadership ultimately starts and ends with God and his word. We want to take time to put things in front of us as a church. Remember, why do we gather so we can be faithful to God's word and pass that on to future generations. We said church value number six, we will leave a gospel legacy. Legacy. We treasure Christ by instilling his gospel in those who come after us from 2 Timothy 2.2. How do we do this? How do we pass these on? It comes from hearing God's word, obeying God's word, and it comes from remembering God's word. Before I close in prayer, I said if you are from Life Kids, I got a gift for you. 
Um, we've got a couple other resources. Uh, Jesus Storybook Bible we talked about. Hey, if you're a parent of teens, Growing in Godliness by Lindsay Carlson or The Disciple Making Parent by Chap Betts, awesome resources, right? Um, I got a book. I am 40 Reasons to Trust God. So if you would like this book, here's the deal. You are in this contest if you have a birthday and you're fifth grade or younger. If you have a birthday and fifth grade or younger, stand up because you're in this contest. If you don't have a birthday, you can't stand up. If you if you're a birthday, stand up. It's okay. It's a, don't be shy. Just stand up. Fifth grade or younger, you know, I don't, you don't want free stuff, right? I don't Okay. Um, all right. Fifth grade or younger, you got a birthday, you're in. Before we started, I asked um, Katie Oliver, our Life Kids director, to give me a random date. So I just got a random date. If your birthday is in July, August, September, October, November, or December, I'm sorry, you got to sit down. If your birthday's in January, February, or March, congratulations, you get to stand up still. If your birthday's in January, you've got to sit down. Oh, man. Birthday's in February? You got to sit down. You got a birthday in March? Just one guy left? Are you the only one left? What? Okay. The date I have is March 12th. Where's your birthday? Who's the other one? What is it? June 5th? What do you got? March what? 14th. March 14th wins. Closest one. March 14th, come on up. All right, I'm going to get off the stage. Pastor James is coming up. I got a lot of stuff here. I got it out of the way. This is, it's Bo Eford. <laughs> Caleb, as our new elder, shape your son's soul with I am, 40 reasons to trust God. And brother, uh, please make sure you're reading this as well when we're in meetings because we want to make sure we do that. Mr. Bo Eford, here you go. Enjoy with your mom and dad, okay? Let me pray. And... Um, I'll get off stage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together and spend time in your word. Lord, we want your word to shape us. We want your word to grip our souls. We want your word to pass on after us. Each one of us is in this room because of your faithfulness and your goodness. And people who have come before us to share the word, may we be faithful in our time that you have given us to glorify you by passing on the gospel. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.